This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hello, I'm Scott Soshnick. And I'm Evan Novi Williams, and this is the All Rise Sports Business Podcast, The Sportacast. I thought this was the inoculated against the flu <laughs> podcast. Eben and I decided a little tag team action at work, just looked at each other and said, hey, CVS is nearby. Why don't we get our flu shots right now? Healthiest podcast in America. Healthiest yeah. podcast in America. The, I was very impressed with the pharmacist. I said to her, you know, how often do you get sick? Because obviously there's so many people that come in there with, with illness. She said, last time I was sick was four years ago. Amazing. Do we, do we buy that? Four years ago? Or is she just flexing? I don't think she would lie to you. No, why not? <laughs> <laughs> All right, Novi Williams, you wouldn't lie to me and you wouldn't lie to our readers when you tell me that Major League Baseball, now th this part I don't get, Major League Baseball, much like the NFL, which ballyhooed sort of this divvying up of international markets, had teams bidding to see who could do commercial uh, work in different places around the world. Baseball did something very similar, only we heard nothing about it until you wrote about it last week. I find it fascinating that baseball just went under the radar on this. Uh, and especially since, by the way, it's like, oh, it's almost done. All the, all the teams know they, they can have more than one team in, in a region, but everybody got what they wanted. Yeah, you're right. And I'll, I'll do the news first, and then we can talk about the, the timing and the announcements, et cetera. B back when base football announced its international markets, they were assigning uh, specific markets to specific teams that wanted them uh, back in December. And from what I was told... Uh, last week, uh, a month later in January, baseball ran a similar process. Every baseball team was told that it could come to the league with three international markets. Uh, so either specific cities or countries. That now, they don't knee jerk like I did, though. I knee jerked. I'm like, well, everybody wants the Dominican. Then I'm like, well, there aren't that many commercial opportunities available <laughs> yeah. in the Dominican Republic. So and, don't and, knee jerk baseball, like I did. Baseball, unlike American football, there's a wider kind of breadth of places where the sport is played. Uh, and from what I was told, teams submitted a, a really wide uh, variety of countries where they want to do deals. And, and just to specify exactly what's allowed here, if you're a baseball team, you're allowed to have a Japanese company, for example, be a uh, be a sponsor of your team, and you can use the Japanese company in your domestic footprint. But you are not allowed to do things in Japan with that company because that is not allowed under baseball's rules. As of before January, baseball did all of its international marketing uh, as a collective. Now, depending on what countries these teams chose, they can now go into countries like, let's say it's the Dominican Republic, or let's say it's the Netherlands, and they can do deals, they can have fan shops pop up, they can do events there, they can do their own marketing and their own marketing deals in those countries. So baseball yeah. teams 
anyone who wanted to participate was uh, was able to choose up to three. The biggest markets like Japan and South Korea were not included in this because they're already so mature from a sponsorship standpoint. But I think we're going to see, Scott, in the next couple months, uh, a number of deals that start to come internationally for baseball teams that really get to show which teams are interested in what areas. All right. Now, are we going sort of the Yao Ming Rockets model where I have a player or... Eduardo Najera and the Dallas Mavericks, much like the Cowboys wanted Mexico, makes perfect sense from a geolocation standpoint. Um, if I have a particular player on my roster from another country that's popular, is it going to be team popularity or all of the above? I think it's it's all those things. So if you're the the Houston Astros and you have Jose Altuve, who's one of the best players in baseball, uh, very popular down in, in Venezuela. Yeah, you, you may very well want to do some things down in Venezuela because you have one of the best, if not the best, Venezuelan baseball players on your roster. And then think about a team like the Seattle Mariners, which are tremendously popular. Again, Japan is not part of this, but tremendously popular across Asia, largely because of Ichiro Suzuki and his success. I would imagine that the Mariners might be interested in some markets in Asia uh, that a team a team on the East Coast, let's say the Tampa Bay Rays, probably are not that interested in. So I think it's going to come down to geogra- geography. It's going to come down to what your roster makeup is. There may be some connections between your owner and specific places that, that, that may draw some interest there as well. But yeah, I think the, these markets are going to change a bit. One thing that's interesting that happened recently, baseball teams are now allowed to sell uh, jersey patches. And we've seen in other sports that a lot of times teams like the NBA teams that are allowed to sell jersey patches too, a lot of those deals actually end up going to foreign companies. It's an easy way for a company that's not based in the U.S. to get a lot of eyeballs on your logo, on your brand name, here in the U.S. So a lot of those companies are, are overseas. I think you're going to see a lot of teams doing th- their jersey patch deal in a foreign country where they have these international rights and then being able to do a lot of things in that country with that company. I don't know if I've ever told the story on the show, but I'll tell you like years ago and and to see this sort of the, the, the pace at which all of this moves when something hot happens. So smack dab in the middle of Linsanity. I found myself at Madison Square Garden sitting in the office of the CEO at the time. I'll let people figure it out who it is if they don't know. But I'm sitting in the CEO's office when a phone call comes comes in from a soft drink company that said, tonight, we want to change our signs, our courtside signage. We want to change it to Mandarin mm-hmm. and leave it that way for, you know, for the duration of what, whatever they wanted. Um, it's just amazing that you have to capitalize. I remember Hideki Matsui and Komatsu. I remember the Komatsu sign in right Mm, field when Matsui was doing his thing for the New York Yankees. And I wonder, we don't know specific teams and areas, do we? I don't want to put you on the spot, but I mean, if, if, you know, Jay-Z singing about the, you know, the Yankee cap, you know, it's that we, we know that the, the interlocking NY and the pinstripes are pretty famous all around the world. I wonder where they think, and for what reason, where do the New York Yankees feels if they feel there's opportunity out there? I, I don't know specific pairings. I, I can tell you that there are definitely teams and the Yankees would be one of them that are taking this opportunity very seriously because they feel like there's a lot of commercial opportunity outside the U.S. for them. And then they're on the other end of the spectrum. There are certainly baseball teams for whom this is so low down on the priority list. They may be asked for a few places, but they're really not going to dedicate any resources to it. And Scott, we saw this in football as well. Not, not every football team even submitted a plan 
internationally. And, and there were teams like the 49ers that, that were very active in looking, I believe, in Australia and in Asia uh, b- because geographically and, and just the popularity of the 49ers, they have a brand that really resonates internationally. There's some NFL teams that, that don't have a brand that resonates internationally. And that's true. That's definitely true for baseball as well. I would imagine the Yankees, the, the Cubs, the Giants, the Dodgers, the Red Sox, all of those clubs are looking internationally and thinking, I can pick three countries here. I can really grow my bottom line here um, by, by doing these things because my brand really resonates. And then at the other end, again, I think there's going to be a handful of baseball teams and, and, and people can probably guess which ones those are for whom being able to do things in, in, in countries in Europe or Asia or South America just actually isn't that much of a priority because there's not a huge money-making aspect for it. Um, I'm interested in why you spoke about the Mariners and Ichiro before when we have right now, uh, you know, the, the we have Otani yeah. and, and the Angels, and yet you still went back for Ichiro I, I, and, and the curious, Mariners. You think the Angels are more popular in, in, in Japan than the, the Mariners are? I guess maybe now they I might I think be. Shohei Otani yeah. right now is the most popular U.S. baseball athlete in Asia. And, yeah. and we go back to my focus group of one when we were watching Little League World Series. And he said all of the Asian-based teams and, and Hawaii as well, they were all, all about every single kid threw like Otani mm. and the batting stance was Otani. They were emulating the person that they, they wanted. Yeah, I wonder if that would have looked like Ichiro 10 years ago. Yeah, right. if the, only the dra- like, you could just slap the ball styles. and run that faster, <laughs> yeah, you know, exactly. pitch and hit like an all-star <laughs> amazingly. So the question is, by the way, let's just talk about a little marketing here. You know, if you're baseball, you've got one heck of a conversation piece in the American League most valuable player. You got this once in a generation player who hits, you know, crazy home runs or whatever. He's, you know, fantastic hitter. Oh, by the way, once every five days he goes out there and he's a fantastic pitcher as well. And then you've got a guy, you know, Ruthian literally in size, right? He's this outsized figure playing in your biggest market for your most storied franchise uh, as of recording, uh, looking to eclipse uh, the American League home run record, and when you start to talk about eclipsing the names of Maris, and you know, in 1961, you're, you're talking about all time conversation piece stuff. Um, where where do you settle on this sort of MVP of Aaron Judge and Shohei Otani? And boy, I really wonder. I'd love to see the two somehow do some kind of baseball promo. If I'm if I'm a if I'm a, 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 an advertiser in baseball, how do I not get these two guys together? And then on top of that, what in the world in the sports business realm, what in the world is Aaron Judge worth? He turned down a whole lot of money to, to just play out the final year. Couldn't agree on the Yankees. And well, uh, I think this may be, I'm trying to think of all the athletes who went into the final year and didn't sign and said, you know, I'll, I'll bet on myself, you know, but he's not 25. He's not 25. Is this a difficult? Again, this is all sports business. Like what happens on the field? Do you want to devote a seven, eight, nine year contract to how old is, how old is Aaron Judge? I believe 31? he's 31. Yeah. 30, 31. He's at least okay. 30. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you've got your, your historical data and your analytics to show you at what age the production starts to wane. Do you don't want to be paying for the performance of the past. So take it where you will. I'm just fascinated. I, and you know me, I'm not often like taken in by what's going on in the field, but give me live look-ins for sure of Albert Pujols, by the way, going for mm. 700. Yep. Give me live look-ins of every uh, Aaron judge at bat. I'm interested. This is super fun stuff. 
this is to, to, to your first point, uh, this should be a dream come true for major league baseball. It's your two biggest media markets, New York and LA and two of the best players in baseball that do very different things to a degree in, in, in Shohei Otani and, and Aaron judge. I am sure we, we talked about this very briefly before the show started and, and you and I actually have a different, maybe a little bit different view on this. I, I certainly remember the, 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 the Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa sure. home run race. I remember the Barry Bonds, his, his race to 70. They felt like they were monumental moments in sports. They were just the thing everybody was talking about in the sports world. It feels to me like what's happening with Aaron judge and Albert Pujols who are both coming up to two, one, a career and one, one, a season long, huge home run milestones. They don't feel like they're getting the same attention. And, and maybe that's a commentary on me and where I'm getting my information or what I'm following. Maybe it's a commentary. Get on off baseball. the TikTok, Novi Williams. <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah. It's, and you seem to think the opposite that, that these were both very big, national stories it just doesn't feel that way in the way that home like big big home run races in the past have felt in in baseball yeah i mean certainly not the sammy sosa mark mcguire that was you know must see global maybe all the steroids just dim that i mean i and i remember watching the commissioner Selig, you know going around following the barry bonds train for when he it was almost like this tortured dance of just do it already right um, baseball really couldn't, there wasn't a lot of cele- celebration. It wasn't a celebratory thing. Yeah. Aaron judge by all, I mean, he will, again, he's this larger than life figure and this global nature of Shohei Otani. There's, there's real marketing opportunities here. I'm curious to see who attaches, how they attach, how they're utilized. And then looking forward, listen, Randy Levine, friend of the program. Uh, you're happy that the guy's hitting home runs and you're happy your team is, is winning and going to the postseason. But every time this guy hits a home run, you're like, my God, I lose some leverage here. Yeah, it's going to be very difficult to say no to Aaron Judge. Could you explain to your fan base if you lose them saying, well, we had this spreadsheet and if we committed this number of dollars over this number of years and we wouldn't be able to do this, even though we're the New York Yankees, like there are limits, you know, you're not just going to pay the guy, you know, whatever he he wants. Uh, But also very difficult. You need to have the internal workings here. You need to know when you say, what is he worth? You know what's the ROI here? What do we? What is actually each win, each ratings point? How do the Yankees capitalize and what you know uh, and derive revenue from every time he does something and help this team win? Eight years ago, a decade ago, Aaron Judge is signing on the heels of this season a a, a 10, 12 year deal worth three hundred million dollars. Right. He, he's getting the bag eight, eight years ago. He's probably signing it with the Yankees to stay in in yep. New York. The economics of baseball have changed so much, and and this is exactly the scenario that we're seeing less and less of. It's the players who are obviously extremely good in their early 30s, but you know that they're not going to be as good in seven years. And baseball teams used to overpay for that, and and they used to pay a lot knowing that at the tail end of the contract, this person was not going to be performing. And now baseball teams are unwilling to do that. And I, I am fascinated to see what Aaron Judge, who right now is worth all of the money without question what he's going to get in terms of length of contract because next year he's going to be one of the best players in baseball and extremely valuable but that's not going to last forever and if he is expecting and maybe he'll get it if he's expecting a deal like the one that we're talking about Albert Pujols Albert Pujols capitalized on this big time I don't know how old he was when he signed that that mega final deal but it was one of those deals that you just knew he wasn't going to be the, the same guy at the end of it um, and Aaron Judge, the the Yankees could certainly end up keeping him. It seems like 
it, it looks less likely the longer this goes on, in my opinion. But yeah, this is he he is in some ways doing all this all these these home run hitting heroics at the worst time to do them in in, in modern baseball history, just by virtue of the way baseball teams are handing out money and the way they're being rewarded economically. Yeah, I'll reverse engineer it. If he's going to leave, where's he going to go? That's what I want to know. Like who? The, the who Dodgers. I mean, who has the money the to Dodgers pay? The Dodgers have a giant payroll already, and they're and they're playing very well. Steve Cohen could certainly pay him, and he could put pressure, just force the Yankees to pay more money with if he just flirts with Aaron Judge. Mm. Um, I don't know. I just don't see anybody else pulling the trigger. I, I I don't see the Yankees letting him get away. It's interesting, yeah, because the, the the part and parcel of what I just said about the changing economics of baseball is that there's just fewer teams in general that have the interest and the ability to pay salaries like this, right? And if you it's need not jerk the Yankees, to the Dodgers, I chuckled, right? Well, of course, you, if you it's need not jerk the Yankees, right to the Dodgers, the Dodgers right? or the Mets. They're, they're, the Padres have been willing. There's really not that many. There's probably another hand, single handful of teams, maybe, that, that that have proven in the past three or four years willing to go out and do these absolutely mega all-time uh, baseball contracts. It, it's going to be a fascinating one for sure. I would never sports radio knee-jerk to sort of this, you know, never going to work, terrible deal. But I just, I stumbled across, I don't know why, maybe maybe my focus group showed me or whatever, but the Juan Soto numbers since since he went over? Mm. No bueno. Is that right? I haven't, I haven't seen. Yeah, I don't know the exact, but I guess we'll have to do this off air and we'll come back and we'll talk about it like next time. But yeah, Juan Soto, since he went to Slam Diego, not not so good. I gotta, <laughs> where's our producer? I mean, uh, we don't have one in real time. <laughs> right. But speaking of highly paid, and, and Juan Soto's uh, twenty three, by the way, right? Aaron yeah, Judge yeah, yeah, is, yeah. Is That's at least, why eight it's years a, it's older okay. than Juan. It makes yeah, a huge it, difference. Just a, just a couple of months is not you know a career. Obviously, the guy's yeah. a fantastic baseball player. So that's why I said it would not knee jerk into the sports radio uh, discussion of what a terrible move. Um, but just I thought worth noting that has not been good since. Not for, and then you have of course the other things going on with the Padres and then Tatis and just been, been tough there. Um, but you know who did get paid? Mm. Killian Mbappe got paid and Kurt oh, Badenhausen yeah. every year looks at the highest paid soccer players. And I'm not so sure if you asked me to name the top five soccer players in terms of income that I would have had, I thought about it and then really it's one of those where you say Mbappe and I'd have been like, Oh yeah, you know, that makes sense to me. But I'm still default Messi in my brain. I still default to Messi. So you, you tell me. I mean, Mbappe is just a fantastic player. Also, not very old. Um, international soccer players are gaining gaining far and wide appeal, especially in the U.S. market. Um, not surprised that we're seeing the kind of numbers we are from from these folks. It, it, the, the, this list is it, to me is fascinating for a number of reasons. You mentioned Mbappe, number one there, a salary of one hundred five million dollars last year, plus twenty million in endorsements. And then number in the U.S., two, we have, see it the other way, right? We yeah. see, we, we see it's way more in endorsements than it, especially the tennis players and the golfers. And you see that, that in number two, who is Cristiano Ronaldo, who's only making fifty three million from only. Man City, or sorry, from Man United, but 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 it's sixty million from endorsements. So he's making way more on the endorsement side. Than he is on the on the salary side. Um, the, the top five: Mbappe, Ronaldo, Messi, Neymar, and Mo Salah. Three of those players: Mbappe, Messi, and Neymar all play for for Paris Saint Germain. Yes, G. <laughs> there is a, a huge drop here also between number four and number five. So so Neymar is number four, ninety one million dollars last year. Mo Salah is number five, less than forty million dollars last year. Scott. So so there is more than double and two x the difference between number four and number five on this list really shows that there is a, a class of 
global soccer superstar. It's four people. It is Mbappe, Ronaldo, Messi, and Neymar. And then everybody else who is supremely talented and has a lot of potential from a, from an endorsement standpoint is just so much lower than all of them. The, the rest of this top top 10, Scott, I, I follow soccer interna- or international soccer fairly closely. I was shocked by this. Eden Hazard is number six. Andres Iniesta, who's playing in Japan I right now. I thought Iniesta was like 55 years number old. seven. Yeah, Raheem Sterling, Kevin De Bruyne, and Antoine Griezmann uh, round out the top 10. Uh, it's a very interesting list, but I think if you were to look at this kind of plotted out, again, you've got these four stars and then so many people that are in that 25 to $40 million range. Just a huge cluster of some of the most famous players in the sport. Really interesting stuff. Now our fun conversation was, all right, now there was one guy who's not on like not top 10, top five, whatever, and is scoring goals and buckets. And I'm like, let's see next year who finds this guy. And I'm like, cause all I do is watch the highlights here. And it's like every day the guy is scoring a goal. Erling like, Holland. Yeah. Yes, the, the, the what, new star. And you got to, by the way, he, he, he's got the look, he's got the story. He, you know, it, like this guy can become the face of soccer. Like he, it just gets the feeling like he could really be someone that advertisers attach themselves to, and he can promote anything anywhere. And maybe most importantly, he also has the team, right? Man City is Man City, yeah. One of these very elite handful of of European soccer teams. Shake Mansoor, whatever they want to to retain and sign talent. And and again, I, the, Andres Iniesta being on this list from a Japanese team, I find totally fascinating. But at the top, top tier here, this this Neymar, Messi, Ronaldo, Mbappe level, yeah, it is. It's the two of the, the four richest clubs in the world, right? And 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 Manchester City would also be on that list. So I would expect Erling Haaland to be on this list at some point, relatively soon, especially if he continues salary or endorsements. Which in the at the end, which one will be the higher metric? Because like you got to pay this guy. This guy's scoring goals at some crazy totally. Pace. I, I mean, it seems like just looking at the rest of the players here, it looks like it's going to be salary over endorsements. It's not like tennis, where it's almost everybody is 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 in the opposite. Um, and, and also, at some point, relatively soon, Scott Ronaldo and Messi are going to fall off this fall list. Off the right? list. They, yeah. are, <laughs> they, they are they are supremely talented still, but they're not young. Why don't and, they have the staying power, of Federer? Though I mean, Federer announced he said, "I'm going away, whatever." And we did the story that it's okay. The endorsers for Roger will outlast his playing career. He has built the persona and the brand. He really does have a brand. Um, he there there aren't that many that that I know they want to say, oh, I want to have a creator brand, have a brand. Athletes, let, let's let's be honest. Many of them don't have it's a one agent said it to me this way. Not too many athletes like Clyde Frazier have style. Yeah. You know what they have? They have stylists. Mm. And they say it's 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 not the same thing. And it's not the same thing with generating a brand either. Like Michael Jordan had a brand, it stood for something. Everybody, every athlete will say to you, my brand, my brand, develop a brand, 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 brand. They don't know what they're talking about. Most don't. Roger Federer does. It's excellence, refinement, he, luxury. He's got a brand. If you were to take, if you were to, to make the, the on-field salary for Messi and Ronaldo zero and then recast this list, uh, Ronaldo would be the fourth highest played soccer player in the world and Messi would be the fifth highest played soccer player in the world. That That's where... That, that's how different the, the, this top tier is from everybody else. Ronaldo and Messi would still be higher than Mo Salah, who's number five on the list right now. 
so so you're right in, in some ways and and those endorsement numbers are, are going to go down when they stop playing just by virtue of the fact that they're not scoring goals consistently anymore but i do think that ronaldo especially and maybe messi to a similar degree it's going to have massive massive consumer and commercial earning potential even after they're done playing figure out a way to keep your social following and then you can monetize easily. As long as you can reach those those ears and those eyeballs and those and those wallets, you're doing all right. 100%. Should we end with Tatouche? Should we let's end with Tatouche? Yeah. I mean, how many people, if I say Tatouche, how many people know where we're headed? Like, may, how many, <laughs> how many, maybe some in Portland? Maybe yeah. Some, some in Portland. And, and it's, and it relates to sport business because Tatouche was the name of, I love the fact that it was Paul Allen's backup yacht. Right, it's not even his yacht. Yacht that that was octopus, and that has already been sold to a Swedish pharmaceutical billionaire, Roger Samuelson, three hundred twenty-five million dollars. Okay, but he also had this other yacht. And what what are the stats on uh, on Tatouche? I have it. It's as the sixtieth. Yeah, ninety million to ask the ask three hundred and three feet long, sixtieth largest in the world. Asking price later this month ninety million dollars. And the reason we found this worthy of talking about, it is just sort of okay. Uh, the continuation of the assets of Paul Allen and the trust uh, being sold. And we all know at some time that it's going to be the Trailblazers, right? And it's going to be the Seahawks. And that those are going to draw two things, a lot of attention and a lot of dollars. Yeah. It seems as though Paul Allen's trust uh, is, is being controlled by his sister, Jody Allen, Paul made it fairly clear in his will, as we understand it, that he wanted all of these assets sold off with, with the money going towards the trust philanthropic efforts. I imagine, Scott, it's, it's a bit easier to sell yacht number one and yacht number two than it is to sell NBA franchise number one and NFL franchise number one. Uh, so, so maybe the plan here is we're going to unload the things that are a bit easier to sell and maybe even a, a bit lower of a price tag before we get to the Trailblazers, which is a well, you said easier. Do you think you think it'll be difficult to sell the Trailblazers and the Seahawks? I mean, it's I a process. I don't think it's going to be difficult to sell. Yeah. Them. So when I say difficult, I don't mean struggle to find buyers. I mean the length of whatever that sale process looks like. I got imagine it, it. is is significantly different than we, I mean putting a ninety forget. million dollar yacht on the market and 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 looking for buyers. And we selling. we didn't have people preemptively trying to get Tatouche. We do have people, and and Phil Knight was one of them, preemptively trying to get the Blazers. Yes, again, I think when they sell these teams, there's going to be plenty of interest. But you know how this the the, the Chelsea sale aside, these things take a long time. The, the Broncos were formally on the market for eight months before a deal was done, and and informally on the market for for three years almost. It, it just it, oftentimes, and 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 the more buyers, oftentimes the more. The, the more complicated it is just to whittle it down. But well, the, the it, key was it here, Jody? Somebody said recently that, that it could be a decade before the, the yeah, Seahawks sure. sold. Yeah, that was in the statement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The key yeah, that's, here... That's amazing. So the key here, Eben, and we've written about this before, and we need to make sure people understand that this is a trust sale. It is not sort of like, all right, I want to give this to you. You make me an offer? Okay, I'll take it. There is a fiduciary responsibility to maximize the price for the trust. So could you do that? Should or could Jody Allen talk to Phil Knight and Phil Knight make a great offer and say, okay, let's just do the, wrap this up quickly? Probably not. You need to prove that there are not higher offers out there or really what the price, the highest price for this thing could be. So yeah, I think we're going to have a real process and Phil may be one of the people in there, but I think you're going to have a bunch of people uh, involved. So 
trust sales a little bit different that you you, you really do have to get the maximum the maximum dollars. And, and the Broncos are a good a good proxy here. That was also an estate sale, and there was a lot of conversation not just who's going to be the highest bidder. It ended up being Rob Walton, but also how diverse his group was going to be, etc. So yeah, I think the multi month process that was the Broncos sale is is probably what's going to be in the future for both the the Blazers and the Seahawks. It's just when when do we get there? When does that process start? Well said. Well done. He is Eben Novi Williams on the Twitter at Novi underscore Williams. I am Scott Soshnick on the Twitter at Soshnick. Matt Whitehurst is our producer. Thank you very much, Matt. Our digital media editor is Cora Veltman. She loves it when I remind you that the show can be found at Sportacast, which is the hub of what will soon become the Sportico Media Network. 